I'm Brett Chang. And I'm Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Wednesday, April 27th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less than seven minutes. Jay, you're going to your first, well, first of all, by the way, we're doing this again in person. And so that's always a fun occasion. But Jay, you're going to your first Jays game later on today. I am. First game of the season. First game of the season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but my uh, my beloved Red Sox are in town. And I think I failed as a parent because my kids went to school today wearing Blue Jays gear. Yeah, well, you failed for as a parent for many reasons. That's one of them for sure. But I okay, you mentioned that there was a promotion today. It was a, a dollar hot dog. Was that it? I think it's Looney Dog Days. Okay. So, yeah, I've been, I haven't eaten all day. I'm going to try to go for five. <laughs> I'm going to be like Joey Chestnut. Like Kobayashi. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and we, just, we just outed ourselves if we're our favorite competitive eaters. Yeah. yeah, so I'm excited to go to the game, excited to bring the kids. We've never lasted nine innings at a baseball sure. show. It's hard with kids, especially with all due respect to the place they play. It's a terrible stadium. Oh. So hopefully the Red Sox will win. At least that's what I hope. My kids hope that the Jays will win. But it's also a big week in Toronto. Well, Sports. but before that, though, the dollar hot dog, it reminded me of the old promotion of Toonie Tuesdays. This is probably before you even got here, but post-SARS, you used to be able to go to a Jays game for $2 a ticket. It was an incredible deal. And COVID is the SARS of our day. Yes. So we should probably bring it back. We should, but they've even, yeah, but they've even gotten less expensive. So you can imagine how hard times uh, for Major League Baseball. I know, but you're, you're right, though. The Raptors are now on a bit of a roll, having been down 3-0 in the series. They're now a 3-2. They play back home. And it's going to be exciting. I, you know, I, I think they're going to win the whole thing. Raps in seven. I know we said Raps in six. You add a game. Raps in seven. Raps in seven. It's funny because I did also tell the kids that nobody ever comes back for three games down. Nobody has. I know, but <laughs> as a Red Sox fan, like that was that is what changed history is that the Red Sox came back for three games down of the Yankees in 2004. So I shouldn't speak so soon to my kids and ruin them for the rest of their lives. Sort of big sports week in the Rosenthal household, but also for Toronto. So we'll, we'll report back of how the Jays and the Red Sox game was. Brett, aside from Toronto sports yeah. and ruining my kids for their lives, what do we have for PayPal today? Yeah, the sports minute is over. Now it's the real news. For our first story, we have election prep. For our second story, EU versus Elon. And for our third story, net zero. For our first story, assuming there's no snap election and that the federal government survives its full term, Canadians will cast their votes next in 2025, which leaves plenty of time for elections candidate to prepare. Right? Well, they've got some ambitious plans, Jay. So Elections Canada is undergoing a digital makeover that includes virtual offices, maybe in the metaverse, and modernizing record keeping. This is all per the logic, but very, very careful. They're they're aware of failures like the government's Phoenix pay system, which is reportedly destroyed lives. They want to avoid that at all costs, which I think is a good thing. Yes. Uh, this is good news. Elections Canada favors slow changes over total system replacements, given the constant state of readiness demanded by the possibility of snapped elections and by-elections, like when MPs quit, retire, or die. Now, when an election is called, over 500 polling stations need to be deployed across the country in a matter of days, which is often hampered by logistical snafus. The pandemic spurred the need for virtualized riding-level operations, and that shift to physical locations when needed. And so, Jay, what does all this pre-election planning matter so much? Well, the federal government, as you mentioned before, doesn't exactly lead the charge when it comes to technology implementation. You could insert your own Phoenix jokes here. But as elections are becoming more digitized, technology screw-ups that undermine the faith in Canadian democracy could be difficult to recover from. Deputy Chief Electoral Officer Serge Caron told The Logic that voter expectations are very high, 
and quote, when an election is called, all electors rightfully expect a secure, available voting experience. We sure hope so. For a second story, the EU has issued a warning to Elon Musk over Twitter's and by the way, it still feels weird to me to say that Elon Musk owns Twitter, but they made it clear to him that free speech plans aside, Twitter must comply with the EU's new digital regulations or risk being fined up to 6% of their total revenue or even banned outright in the Eurozone. Now, Jay, I know this whole Elon Musk Twitter deal only happened yesterday or the day before it's recording today, but two days ago. But you know, want to give Peak Pals a quick refresh on the situation? Sure. Musk's purchase of Twitter came to two days ago after the EU passed the Digital Services Act, the DSA, a set of sweeping new tech regulations that will force big tech companies to adopt new standards, including more aggressively policing harmful content and disinformation on their platforms. Now, here's the problem. This goes directly against what Musk's number one stated objective is for the Twitter app, which is promoting free speech. Now, to do this, Musk intends to loosen content moderation policies the exact opposite of what you want. And to bring this all back home, the federal government in Canada is currently trying to whip up support for Bill C-36, the country's owned proposed plan for regulating harmful online content, which Twitter Canada recently called the plan authoritarian. And this was even before Musk bought Twitter. In addition to the EU, human rights organizations, including Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch, have also raised concerns about the potential proliferation of hate speech on Twitter. While some Twitter employees are concerned he will cut back on Twitter's moderation and safety teams, which includes hundreds of employees. Which, Brett, it brings us all to the bottom line. So it is yet to be seen if Twitter and the EU will actually clash. You know, the skill is fresh. Uh, the, the ink is just drawing on the deal. But if we know anything about the man, he's used to getting what he wants. And he loves picking fights with regulators. So buckle up. Things could get bumpy in Brussels. Bumpy in Brussels. That's going to be that, our new podcast. And for our final story, Canada is caught between two calls. One, to boost oil and gas production to help with the global energy crisis while simultaneously meeting its ambitious climate targets and achieve net zero by 2050. Is it possible to reconcile these two goals? Well, a new report from RBC Economics says yes, but it won't be easy. And the important part, it also won't be cheap. What's Canada's energy dilemma? So last month, Canada introduced a new plan with ambitious targets to reduce emissions in the oil and gas sector by 42% by 2030. But at the same time, they also proved ramping up oil production. Some might call this trying to have your cake and eat it too. But oil is here to stay and we're not going to eat it. But with expectations that oil demand will rise rather than fall this decade and that Canadian oil production won't peak until sometime in early 2030s. So it's necessary to find a middle ground where Canada keeps producing oil while simultaneously meeting its emissions target. And that's where the RBC economics report comes in. RBC found that Canadian oil producers could raise production by 500,000 barrels per day from 2021 levels without building any new pipelines, but at the cost of 9 million tons of additional carbon emissions. That does not sound good. At least $1.5 billion annually will have to be spent in efforts to offset the new carbon released. But with as much as $10.5 billion annually from increased production, the oil industry could invest in greening their practices. The way RBC sees it is this trade-off might be necessary as long as we commit to long-term renewable power infrastructure, increased decarbonization, and improve energy efficiency, which, Trey, brings us to our bottom line. It does bring us to our bottom line. A 40% emissions reduction from current levels in the oil sands by 2030 will require anywhere from 45 to $65 billion between 2024 
and 2030. So a pretty tight timeline, peaking at about $9 billion per year mid-decade. It's a hefty number, Brett, much of which will be supplied by taxpayers, but it's a price that has to be paid to balance both environmental and energy security. Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to and only daily Canadian business news podcast in the country. If you've got a second, want to follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. And as always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for putting together this episode. Thank you, Dale. And thank you, Brett. And go Sox. <laughs>